Good morning, church family. Appreciate Ricky with that scripture reading. Um, as you can tell, we've made it to the end of our study on the great book of Ephesians. Those were the last verses. And as we end our time in Ephesians, Paul leaves us with just a real wonderful passage to look at. Um, It's a famous passage, one that's talked about a lot, one that you're probably familiar with in a lot of different ways. Um, But when we look at it time after time, no matter how many times we look at it, no matter how familiar we are with it, it seems to speak so truly and clearly to the problems that we face. Um, Whether you're Paul in a Roman prison thousands of years ago or you're a 21st century person living in Springfield, Missouri. Um, Our problems are not all that different and the solution is actually the same. And Paul's going to tell us very clearly about um, this idea in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 20. As we look at this passage, I want to begin by just talking about something that I think is relevant for all of us. And it's the idea of wanting to live the ideal Christian life, as we'll call it. Don't you want to live an ideal life? Don't you want to chase that American dream? I think this is something that we all value. We all value our comforts and our conveniences, and that's not inherently bad. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think all of us like our conveniences. We like things to be just so. We want to be within walking distance of a Starbucks and a Chick-fil-A. You know what I'm saying? We want our conveniences in this life. And to be fair, Paul actually does paint a pretty clear picture of an ideal Christian life. He talks about a world where people, uh, where, where husbands and wives have harmony with one another. He talks about a, a world where parents... Uh, Uh, teach their children in the Lord and children obey their parents. He talks about workers that work hard and submit to their bosses and bosses that are good employers. He talks about how wonderful it would be if all of these things were so. He talks about this ideal Christian life, but then he's going to drop a bomb on us here in chapter 6, starting in verse 10. He says, lest we think that Christianity is all about comforts, is all about just have everything just so, Paul reminds us that we are all smack dab in the middle of a war zone. None of us can decide that we just want the peaceful life. The life of the Christian is one of a battle, he's going to tell us. Of course, it's not necessarily a physical battle. It's a different kind of battle. It's battling for the souls of our friends and our family. It's battling the temptation of sin. It's battling to be sure that our adversary doesn't overtake any area of our life. And this is what Paul says here. So he paints this beautiful picture of the life of a Christian. And he says, even though those things are the case, and even though you should act that way in your relationships, I want you to know that life as a Christian is still one of a battle. It's not merely one of being comfortable. It's not merely one of having conveniences. It's one of continually struggling. But even in that struggle, God is going to equip us with some very powerful tools so that we can be successful. Let's so read our text together in chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, Be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up, uh, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the, sal- uh, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may, might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. So here Paul says in a very real way that Christians are engaged in a spiritual Battle. He says in no uncertain terms that there is a battle going on and you and I need to be prepared for it. Specifically, we need to be armored up for it. As Hitler marched across, uh, across Europe, he had some of the most technologically advanced weapons that were available at the time. And as he was traveling and going through these, uh, th- these lower income countries, these, uh, these third world places in Europe... Some of these underdeveloped countries fought back with anything they could get their hands on. Some fought back with spears and sometimes even rocks. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it? That rocks were obviously no match for these technologically advanced weapons that the Germans were using. And as interesting as that is, I think that really applies to the way that we sometimes fight our battles. Because our adversary, make no mistake about it, has very technologically advanced weapons. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to, how to challenge humanity and get us to stumble. And more often than not, sometimes we're throwing rocks and spears. Things that are no match for, this, for Satan's flaming arrows, as Paul says here. So Paul wants us to understand our enemy, to understand how powerful he is, how good at his job he is, and he doesn't want us to just throw whatever we can get our hands on. He wants us to be prepared. He wants every area of our life to be properly fitted with the right kind of armor so that we can take a stand against this very powerful enemy. So let's look at the nature of this battle in verses 10 through 12. Paul says something really interesting right off the bat here in in verse 10. He says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. For a couple weeks now, I've been using the CSB, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, and I really like how the CSB brings this out, um, how it says that, uh, that we need to be strengthened by the Lord. I think that was an intentional translation. Many have said this verse should probably be translated in this way, be, be strengthened by the Lord rather than be strong in the Lord. And what's the difference? Is that that big of a deal? 
Well, our enemy is so powerful that if we decide that we need to be strong ourselves or we need to take it upon ourselves to fight back against Satan, we will inevitably not do a very good job, will we? Because our strength is not very much. But God's strength is a match for Satan. That's why Paul tells us to not just simply be strong, not simply just do the best that you can, but be strengthened by the Lord. Make our strength His strength. That's the only way that we're going to be able to be successful in this battle. Like you, I know many who have had drug problems, problems with alcohol, dependence on different substances. And I remember having a particular conversation with one man um, who was a drug addict, and he made this statement. He says, You know, I know I have a problem, but I think I can just get over it myself. I think I can just try a little bit harder, and that will be good enough. I'll be able to get past this and conquer this. It wasn't many months later that he overdosed and died. Our strength is often not very good. We need the strength of others. Specifically here, we need God's strength so that we can take a stand against our adversary. This means seriously protecting our time with Him every single day. Not living day to day by our own strength, but waking up every single day saying, Lord, I need You and Your influence and Your power and Your strength in my life. I can't do it by myself. It means being engaged with the church body so that none of us are just lone rangers going out on our own, but we have a group, a family of brothers and sisters that lifts us up when we're weak. It means going to brothers and sisters for help when you face spiritual battles. This is what it means to be strengthened by the Lord. It means acknowledging our dependence on Him so that we can stand against our adversary. In verse 12, another nature of this battle is that this battle is unseen but very, very real. Paul says, just so there is no confusion, this battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other people necessarily, but it's against Satan. You know, I heard an illustration about this passage where um, it was talking about the cloud. You remember a few years ago when everybody started talking about this cloud. You know, it's in the cloud. You can go to the cloud and it's there. And it's this kind of ambiguous thing that you can't really see very well. But apparently it's very important because a lot of things are going to the cloud, right? And I remember when some of this cloud storage stuff was going around, I remember thinking, no, I I want it on a hard drive. I want it on on a floppy disk or a USB drive or something like that. What's this cloud? Well, our spiritual battle, this battle that is going on, is very similar to the cloud. Um, It's unseen. It's kind of mysterious in some way. But make no mistake about it, it is very, very real and very important. Think for a moment about how the world and our relationships would be if we didn't see other people, if we didn't see flesh and blood as the enemy, but Satan. That's what Paul says here. He says we don't fight against human beings, but against spiritual forces. When having marital problems, it isn't our spouse that's the enemy. It's Satan that's working to undermine our marriage. When our kid is struggling at school, our teacher isn't inherently the enemy. It's Satan working to discourage our family. 
Republicans or Democrats are not inherently the problem. It's Satan who is working to divide our country. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces in the heavens that are working to negatively influence other people. You might remember in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, um, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm about to be crucified, I'm about to be put to death, but then I'll be raised up. And you remember what Peter told him? Peter rebuked Jesus, which can you imagine doing that for a moment? But Peter rebukes Jesus and he says, I, I, this will never happen. Don't say things like that. And if you remember what Jesus said to Peter, he spoke in very strong terms. And what did he say? Get behind me, Satan. That's right. Why did he say that? Did he actually believe that Peter was Satan? No, of course not. But he did know that Satan was working in the background. He was working in Peter's life to negatively influence that entire situation. And there's something similar that happens with the conflicts that we engage in. It's not inherently that other person that's the problem. It's Satan undermining and, uh, and helping to, to sabotage the situations that we get ourselves into. So that's the nature of this battle. Now in verses 13 through 17, Paul is going to talk to us about the battle gear. What we need to put on to be prepared for this very real spiritual battle. Remember the context here that Paul is in prison for the gospel so he knows better than anyone that this battle is going on but as he's sitting there in in prison he's reaching for things that might help his audience understand the ways that we can undergo this battle so at this time paul was probably chained to a roman soldier so just imagine this for a moment paul is there in prison uh, his life is, is not going exactly like he would like for it to go. He's talking to the Ephesians and to us about this spiritual battle. And he looks at the man that he's chained to, a Roman soldier. And he begins from head to toe looking at this Roman soldier. And he begins to write about the things that we should put on as Christians. And he uses this soldier as a metaphor. He's going to show us seven ways that we can be armed and ready. And I don't think seven is a mistake there. You might remember at other times, especially in the Old Testament, that seven means complete, it means perfect. So in other words, Paul gives us seven things that we can adapt to our lives, that we can put on as Christians, so that we can be totally complete in our stand against Satan. It's also interesting that the things that he tells us to put on is deeply rooted in Old Testament imagery, um, where God puts things on before going to battle. I want to show you this really quickly in Isaiah chapter 59, if you want to flip over there. Isaiah 59, starting in verse 15 to 17. See if this sounds familiar. The Lord saw that there was no justice, and he was offended. He saw that there was no man. He was amazed. There was no one interceding. So, he, so his own arm brought salvation. And his own righteousness supported him. He put on righteousness as body armor and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. That sounds familiar. That's almost exactly what Paul tells us. So in other words, the armor that we are supposed to put on is the armor that God himself wears when he goes to battle, which should really give us some confidence in what Paul is telling us to do here. 
Um, this stuff works. This armor that, that we are supposed to put on is something that is tried and tested, and it belongs to God himself. So let's look at these pieces here. In verse 14, he tells us about the belt of truth. Uh, this is the first thing he says. I don't think that's a mistake because the belt kept everything in place. It kept your armor in place. It kept your sword in place. It held everything together. And for Paul, truth kind of does the same thing. What kind of truth? Well, I think he's probably talking about truth that's revealed in Scripture, God's truth. In the Bible, we hear about the truth about this world. We hear the truth about one another and about ourselves. And this is important for us to realize because this biblical truth, the truth that belongs to God, is what's going to keep all of these pieces in order. Um, One of the most effective weapons that Satan uses is making us doubt truth. He makes us doubt in God. He makes us doubt in our standing before God. So the more rooted we are in truth, the more together that we can be, uh, the, the loose ends of our lives can be pulled closer to us so that Satan has nothing to hold on to to trip us up. The belt of truth. Also in verse 14, he talks about righteousness like armor on your chest. Uh, this obviously was a very important piece that covered uh, the torso, the chest, covered a lot of the, uh, the major vital organs, uh, namely the heart. Paul says that we are to put on righteousness for this same purpose, I think, to protect the heart. Now, righteousness is God's own perfection in every attribute. That's what Paul is telling us to put on our heart, to put on the the main part of our body. He tells us to put on God's perfection in every aspect. Now, how in the world are we supposed to do that? That seems like an impossible thing to do. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, a very important verse. They're all important, but this is a, a good one too. He says, he made the one who did not know sin. Who would that be? He's talking about Jesus. He, be, he, be, uh, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he became sin for us. And as a result of that, we receive his righteousness. So when we become Christians and we are baptized into Christ and we identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we receive a righteousness that is foreign to us. We receive a righteousness that is not our own, but comes directly from Jesus. And since Jesus lived a perfect life, God now sees us as living a perfect life. We are totally justified in his sight. So Paul tells us to put on righteousness as armor on our chest. And it's that righteousness of Christ, that total perfection that protects us. It protects our heart. It, makes, it begins to make our will God's will. Or maybe I should say it the other way. It makes God's will our will. God's desires our desires. God's thoughts our thoughts. You know, the, the biggest battles that Satan has won in my life are the times when Satan changed my desires to not fit God's desires. It's when he made me selfish and more susceptible to sin because I was... Uh, you know, trying to do things that were not God's will. 
So God's righteousness that's given to us is something that protects our heart and changes our desires. It changes our will to fit God's will. And Paul says we need to put this on to take a stand against Satan. In verse 15, he says, Your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. This is one of my favorite pieces that he mentions here. And it's because it's a picture of basically a football cleat or a baseball cleat or something like that. Josephus describes these shoes as thickly studded with sharp nails. Um, so they're pretty, they're pretty cool-looking shoes. And Paul says our spiritual shoes are similar. The gospel of peace allows us to be ready for any terrain that the world might throw our way. I remember growing up, I, was, I played a lot of sports. I played football. I played uh, baseball. I ran track. Um, I wasn't great at all of them, but I enjoyed doing all of them. I remember one of my favorite things was going to pick out shoes for that season and looking at the different texture of, of the sole and looking at uh, the different ways that baseball cleats were different from football cleats and the, the neat spikes that you got to wear when running track. Um, it's just kind of a cool memory. Maybe you have some similar memories as well. Well, Paul says that our spiritual shoes are similar. They have a unique soul so that we are ready for any terrain that the world might give us, no matter how rugged it is. We just recently came back from Texas uh, for Thanksgiving. We were with our family. And this week, my family has received some difficult news, um, some difficult terrain that we're having to endure. Uh, my grandfather was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, so if you have any experience with that, you know that it's difficult. Uh, there are some treatment options. We're trying to do the best we can to take care of that. But it's certainly some difficult terrain. It's some unexpected terrain. Um, we're not exactly sure how to proceed forward. But kind of adapting this to what Paul is saying here is that when our feet are sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace, we have shoes on that are able to climb any mountain. We have shoes on that are ready to undertake any terrain that Satan might throw at us because we have the gospel of peace. In any situation, we can have peace. Verse 16, he talks about the shield of faith, the shield of faith. These shields were really fascinating because they were about the size of a door. Uh, they were big rectangles that covered the entire body. It was a very important piece of armor. And normally it was coated in leather and then soaked in water so that when flaming arrows were shot at you, it would extinguish those arrows on impact. Um, I didn't really realize what these flaming arrows were until I looked a little bit closer this week. And apparently many battles began by shooting large quantities of these flaming arrows, uh, not just to inflict damage on the enemy, but also to cause panic from the start. These arrows were really interesting because even when they were caught by the shield and the shield did its job, they would often cause the shield to catch on fire making the soldier abandon his shield and become completely exposed to whatever attacks the enemy wanted to do next. Um, so you can probably see the, uh, the parallel to Satan's flaming arrows, his flaming darts, as Paul says here in Ephesians 6, that he's trying to shoot these arrows at us to cause a lot of damage, but more often than not, arrows are shot at us to cause panic. They're shot at us so that we will throw our shield of faith away in pursuit of something else, but it actually leaves us more and more exposed. Satan's weapons are very advanced, aren't they? 
And you are probably well acquainted with some of these arrows. They can appear as thoughts or fears or negative people or relationships that are not going the way that you think they should go. His arrows take many forms and they are designed to disappoint and discourage and leave our shield of faith uh, apart from us to where it's not protecting us anymore. Paul calls us to constantly be strengthening our faith so that these arrows are extinguished on impact. And I commend you for being here today because that means you are strengthening that shield of faith. You are growing in your faith so that it can be as strong as possible for Satan's flaming arrows. Another important piece of armor is in verse 17. Um, this is another item that, uh, that is talked about in Isaiah 59. It says that God puts on this helmet of salvation. But in Ephesians, it's actually something that he gives to us. You know, there's something about helmets that really, really give confidence to those that are wearing them. I talked about going to the store and buying cleats for different sports a little bit earlier. Well, another childhood memory I have is this old football helmet. I don't even remember where I got it, but it was this old-school-looking football helmet. And I wore that thing everywhere. It was just a part of, of childhood for many, many years. I'd ride my skateboard with it, my bike with it. I would climb a tree with it. Because when I had that helmet on, I wasn't afraid of anything. I probably, in fact, had a little bit more confidence than I should have had, right? But that helmet was really special to me because it gave a young man confidence. And Paul says that when we have our helmet of salvation on, it should give us confidence. Confidence that no matter what happens in this spiritual battle, no matter what happens in the world as, as negative things are going on in the world and in your life, you have a helmet of salvation on that gives you confidence. That would even if everything goes completely sideways, maybe we even lose our lives, we still have that helmet of salvation that gives us confidence that we will be with our Father. In verse 18, here's the last, um, we're going to talk about one bonus one, but the last real physical piece of armor that he gives us is the sword of the Spirit in verse 18 which just really highlights how essential it is to be so well acquainted with Scripture that we know it so well that we can put it to use in our lives. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. That's powerful, isn't it? The psalmist doesn't want to sin against the Lord, and the reason why he is able to stand against the devil, the reason why he is able to not sin against God, is because he has stored up his word in his heart. You probably remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 undergoing a great spiritual battle, where Satan came to him many times and said, you should do this, or you should speak this into existence, or you should uh, take these kingdoms from me. And how did Jesus respond to each and every one of Satan's attacks? You know, he quoted Scripture. He had a head full of Scripture that he was able to use to take a stand against Satan. And you and I, when we store this word in our heart and we commit ourselves in a very intentional way, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, of getting this word into our lives and into our hearts, we will be properly equipped to face Satan. As we close here, I want to look at verses 18 through 20 one more time because this is the seventh piece 
of armor. Not everybody says this is specifically a piece, uh, but I think it might be the most important thing he tells us in verses 18 through 20. He says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. Then in verse 9 he says, Pray for me that I may have boldness. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. So here's the last thing that Paul tells us. Things that we need to be equipped. He's told us from head to toe, from the helmet of salvation to the sandals of the gospel of peace on our feet, how we need to be equipped to face Satan. Here's the last thing he says. He says, make sure that you're constantly in prayer. You know, the Roman soldier obviously had a lot of things to put on his body so that he would be prepared. But what's interesting is that there's no way this soldier could put all of these items of of armor and clothing on by himself. He would have to have a fellow soldier help him put these things on. They were too big. Uh, They were too unwieldy sometimes. Well, Paul says something similar. He says that we need to be praying for one another. We need to be helping one another put armor on so that we can be properly uh, ready for Satan's attacks. Each time we gather, we are rallying one another to keep fighting the good fight. We are trying to armor one another up and encourage one another to keep fighting that good fight and running the race that God has marked out for us. So how much are you praying? How much are we praying for ourselves that we are properly protected from Satan's attacks? Maybe the the, the best context of this is how much are we praying for one another, for our brothers and sisters, that they would be able to extinguish Satan's flaming darts. This is one way that Paul says that we will be properly protected. It's within the safety of the church. It's when we have one another's backs. It's when we help one another and pray for one another and lift one another up. It will only be then that we are totally protected from from the battle that we are enduring. So as we end our study in Ephesians, um, I want to pray this prayer that we would keep fighting the good fight. Um, As we are upon a new year, who knows what this year will bring us. Hopefully we can keep coming back to prayers like this that Paul gives us uh, to help us take a stand against Satan. So let's pray together. Father, we love you so much and we are grateful to be here as a church family this morning. Uh, Father, the songs are are wonderful. Uh, we're, We're We're blessed by the prayers that are said. Here in a moment, we'll take the Lord's Supper and we'll be blessed by it as well. We pray that everything that we do today glorifies you and is pleasing to you. Father, this study in Ephesians has been eye-opening in many ways. We're thankful for the book of Ephesians. We're thankful for the Apostle Paul who just uh, so beautifully tells us exactly what we need to do so that we will be able to be ready for the different ways that Satan attacks us. And Father, here in Ephesians 6, uh, right at the end of the book, he tells us that we need to pray. To properly be ready for the attacks of the devil, we need to pray for ourselves, for one another. Um, he, He tells us to pray prayers of perseverance and intercession. And I pray that everybody that is here and the other members of of our body that might be elsewhere this morning, um, I pray that they would persevere. I pray that Satan would not get a foothold in any of our lives, but that we would be able to properly fight him away. And that, Father, when he does inevitably get a foothold in in one of our lives, I pray that we would have the boldness to be able to reach out to our brothers 
and sisters and ask for help and be the church family that you would have us to be. Also, Father, in Ephesians 6.20, Paul says that we should pray for boldness. And Father, as society goes different ways and as the world goes in in scary ways, we pray for boldness. Uh, We pray that we would have the confidence to be able to share the gospel with those that you have put in our lives. We pray we have the boldness to live in the ways that you want us to live and that we would not uh, we would not be like the world that we were in. Father, I pray that you would strengthen our faith, that we would be able to put on this whole armor of God. I pray that we would be able to be strengthened not by our own strength, but by the strength that you give us through the cross. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, as we move into our time of invitation, um, you know that the invitation is always open. Uh, If you recently have been undergoing a spiritual battle of some kind, and all of us to some degree are undergoing spiritual battles, and you need the prayers of this church to do what we just did, um, to help you put on that armor, to help you get out of this battle that you are in, that's what we're here for. Paul says very clearly that your brothers and sisters are here to help. When these battles arise. So if you need that this morning, we would love to help you. Uh, Maybe you are not a Christian and Satan is really winning that battle in your life. The Bible says that we can be baptized into Christ and given this set of armor that God will give us and filled with his Holy Spirit so that we can have the tools to properly fight Satan's tactics. And if you need that this morning, we would love to help you with that as well. Whatever your need might be, we ask that you would come as we stand and sing.